0: Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and
1: timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds are Wild podcast series as a part of the Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Jason Norsworthy, weed scientist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. And today, I'm glad to be joined by Dr. Kyle Briscoe with CPro Ag. And I've asked Kyle to come on today and to talk with us about CPro's new break label uh, for actually use of the herbicide in rice. Glad to have you with us today, Kyle. Thank you, Jason. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, we're excited to uh,
0: have the break label in rice. Um, you know, just to get started here, we, we received the expanded label uh, on January the 24th. So EPA approved it on January the 24th. And, you know, the approach that we took this year was really um, more of a modest approach, considering there wasn't a whole lot of data points that we had. Um, I guess the start, where we're targeting is pro-irrigated rice. Um, And I want to get that out there to begin with, because there is an aerial restriction on the label. Uh, We can talk about Flood irrigated rice here in a little bit, and some things that we've seen in your research. Um, but where we've targeted is for irrigated rice, and not necessarily marketing directly this year. More of a, of a demo program, um, and, and the reason being, again, is is we want to learn. We want we want more data points. We want some commercial use. Um, Break is a <coughs> Pre-emerge only brought up, so it doesn't have any post-emerge activity. Uh, the active ingredient is fluridone uh, Many people know it from use in cotton and um, the Section 18s that we've had in peanut. Um, do have that Section 3 label in peanut now, but from in terms of use in rice, being a Group 12, it is a bleacher. Um, what the label has is post post applications from the three leaf stage
1: so i want to stop stop you there because you said something that was intrigued me and i've looked at the the label and i think there's some confusion when folks look at the label on the very first page of the label it says pre-emergence herbicide for use in cotton peanuts and rice okay Pre emergence herbicide. So, when a lot of folks think of a pre emergence herbicide, they think of a herbicide that's being applied at planting. So, my question to you, Kyle, is is this herbicide labeled for at planting applications in rice?
0: It is not labeled for at planting applications in rice.
1: Okay, post post emergence. So, then you go on to read the label and it says, here are the use rates for post-emergence use in rice, and I go back to the first page and I say, well, the first page says it's only for pre-emergence use in rice. And so <laughs> yeah, I certainly was, I was certainly confused.
0: Yes, sir. I, I I certainly understand the confusion, and and it should say, you know, pre-emerge to the to the weed, not pre-emerge behind the planter, if you will, um, from that standpoint on the label. But just just to make it clear, it is not labeled for pre-emerge behind the planner application than RICE, only post-emerge from the three-leaf stage.
1: Okay. So with that, I want to step back because, again, you've said several things here. January 24th, you were granted a federal label. When did you receive a state registration? Because it wouldn't have been on the 24th. It'd been sometime after that. Do you recall?
0: I don't recall the exact date. The, uh, The state went in approximately three weeks after we received federal approval, and I don't have a date on exactly when, but it was, well, it was shortly it, after.
1: The reason that I bring that up is some of our listeners have called me and said, why didn't we hear about this in January, or why did we not hear about this in December? Uh, ACMC, why did we not talk more about the fact? But I guess part of it was, we didn't know exactly when we were going to get a federal label, and then secondly, we had no idea as when the state label would follow that. And I think you guys, for the most part, didn't want to see it on a lot of acres. You wanted to see it more as a demo in 2023. Is that is that a correct assessment? Yes, sir. Um, it,
0: it, as you stated, it, it really came down to we didn't know when we were going to have the federal label. So we weren't comfort, comfortable talking about it at all. Uh not knowing exactly when the federal label is going to come and to the to your next point at the same time we were looking to do more of a demo program this year anyway
1: no, That that's fair enough so you know going back to break registered in cotton I can remember it was a WSSA a wheat science society of America meeting with the EPA where really Brake was kicked off looking at pigweed control in in cotton. And, you know, when I think of Brake and I go back to the cotton days, it was really all about putting it with a PS2 herbicide. It was about also really targeting pigweed with that. Um, on your label here, it says for a range of grass and broadleaf, small-seeded broadleaf weeds, including pigweed obviously pigweed is going to be a focus it's the second most problematic weed that we have in in row rice can you comment what, what do you what do you expect to get out of it at least at the rates the rates being 12 to 16 ounces depending upon soil texture but what what weeds are you really targeting outside of pigweed so I think
0: from a rice standpoint and, and you know Jason from doing the work that that the amount of efficacy in terms of the longevity and and really the the amount of control that you get out of break, um, is is largely dictated by how much moisture you have, right? So absolutely, I, I the reason that I say that is twelve to sixteen ounces, or let's just say sixteen ounces, because that's the lowest use rate in cotton. Uh, from what we've seen, sixteen ounces is going to go further in rice than it is in cotton. Just because you've got more moisture there. Um, from to that end, you know, as we go through the do the research, uh, what we're seeing is not only pigweed control, um, but annual grass control in terms of, say, large crabgrass, goose grass, probably signal grass, barnyard grass to a lesser extent. I would say the first three species that I named. Uh, certainly more activity, but there is activity on barnyard grass, especially if that moisture is high. Um, and, and again, we're talking about pre-emergence activity, not post-emergence. Uh, so those would be the grass species. I, I think that we've seen some interesting results on hemp sespania, at least from from another uh, typical rice weed. Um But again, I think from a furrow irrigated rice standpoint, it always comes back to Palmer. And and the reason that this project started to begin with was how do you control Palmer and furrow irrigated rice?
1: I I agree with you totally. I think Palmer is the the key here. And then I think anything that we get outside of that is extra. Um, I agree with you also. I think that some of the other uh, the goose grass, the crab grass, it's going to be more active on that than than barnyard grass. I've gotten a lot of calls from folks over the last month and a half wanting to know, is this a new mode of action that we can use to control barnyard grass? And my response is, it has activity on barnyard grass. If I had to sit there and place a number in the MP44 today, I'm probably going to give it a a 70. I'm not going to, a seven out of out of 10 i'm not going to say that it's a material that i would rely on for barnyard grass can it provide some activity absolutely it 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 can uh hemp says banyan. you i agree with you also there i think that there's some suppression wouldn't say control but it definitely has some activity on uh hemp says banyan, and it's going to help us out i think there in terms of providing some residual control and maybe again in the water, I think it's probably going to even have more activity than than it does on dry dry soil. The key to this herbicide it's all about it's all about moisture and so when you take a look for instance, let's just say fur irrigated rice, you've got moisture extremes within that field and when I say moisture extremes, you've got the top of the bed versus the furrow, and then you have the top of the field versus the bottom of the field and you know, when folks call me and ask about break, my response is, is I'm assuming you're holding water in the bottom of that field. And if you're concerned about pigweed, the pigweed problem is going to go away with you holding water there. You need to address your pigweed issue on the portion that you're not actually flooding. And so with that, let's just kind of turn here and, you know, when I'm applying break it's all about taking down the weeds that are up because you've mentioned it really has no I would say measurable post-emergence activity you may get a little bleaching here and a little bleaching there but it's not going to take down emerged weeds so what are your thoughts in terms of some of the go-to herbicides that you would you would mix it with and then I guess what are some things that you've seen that might indicate that you'd want to stay away from some herbicides?
0: So from a mixing standpoint, again, I, I think you make a, a great point there with the, it's pre only, no post-emergence out, activity outside of a little bleaching. So you need some some knockdown with it if you've got some weeds up. Um, if we're talking about primarily Palmer, which we are normally, uh, wyant has been a good option. Um, in, in the research trial so far, and and I would say the second best that I've seen is propanil. Um, if you talk about some chemistry that from a from a standpoint of I probably wouldn't recommend it right now because I want some more data uh, would be your ALS chemistries um, such as GRASP or or regimen. And, and the reason I say that is we we've seen, I would say, when the data shakes out, it will be significantly more bleaching when you run those tank mixes. Now, uh, we haven't taken those trials to yield yet, obviously, but certainly it's it's of uh, of a bit of concern as we step into
1: this realm. You know, I, I agree with you that the, I think the go-to for those that will spray Loyant and for the most, well, I mean, it's it's ground only. And so it's it's got aerial applications these days, but it's hard to find an individual in the state of Arkansas that's going to put it out. So I think Loyant is one that migrates towards ground application. And it has, I think, an excellent fit here with break because eight ounces of Loyant with 16 ounces of break, as you said in our research plots, and you had an opportunity to look at some a few a uh, few weeks ago, looks outstanding in terms of residual on, on pigweed. Propanil, I would be fine with propanil as long as it's an early timing. And when I say early timing, I'm talking one to two-inch pigweed. We start getting into four-inch, five-inch pigweed, you're going to have some difficulty with with propanil. And uh, so for that reason, I really think the go-to as it relates to Palmer for the most part is going to be uh, Loyant. It's not also surprising that, again, recommending eight ounces. Uh, part of that has to do with the fact that eight ounces is very effective on pigweed. Uh, secondly, by getting that rate down, we generally have less injury to rice uh, than we have with 16 ounces. So really, 16 isn't needed uh, to take care of our, our pigweed issues. What what about, I'm just curious, I was talking with Dr. Butts here the other day. And I don't know if you guys have seen it any, but I know he's got a trial looking at break on cut ground. Have you had in any of your demos, I'm just curious, have you guys looked at any on some cut ground? So,
0: um, there is one demo on cut ground, and I will say that there are spots in that field um, where certainly you can tell that there's there's more injury there, there's more bleaching in areas, um, you know, where all the organic matter has been removed. So, it's not a recommendation currently. Um, actually, if you look at the label, there's a precaution uh, about putting it on cut ground because we were afraid of exactly what we saw on the demo. Um, so yeah, to date, and I and I haven't not seen Dr. Butt's trial yet, but uh, certainly aware of it and going to get in touch with
1: him and see it real soon. Okay. What about um, one thing I want to backtrack on here, and then we'll talk about kind of moving over into flooded rust. You know, you you said it's not recommended pre-emergence, but then when I looked at the label, the label says that there is a zero-day plant back to rice, and I'm not aware of any other herbicide that has a zero-day plant back that doesn't have a true pre-emergence at planting label. And so, I mean, what, what if it has a zero-day plant back, why not a pre-emergence label?
0: I'll say, Jason, from that point, it's it's being conservative on our end. Um, we've done a ton of work looking at it pre-emergence. You have trials. We looked at them three weeks ago, um, and it looks really, really good. I, the The conservative part of it is, and, and let's speak specifically to furrow, irrigate, furrow irrigated rice right now, is um, we do see some stand loss, especially at the the two x or the the double up rate, if you will, in the furrows. So if it gets wet and we have a cool wet spring and that rice in the furrows is sitting there with wet feet, um, sitting there drinking break, I, we have observed some stand loss. So that's why you know we were comfortable with a zero day plant back interval, but the pre emerge on the label um, where uh, we didn't want to. Didn't want to get go there, I suppose, uh, just due to what we've observed
1: in the research trials. So yes, yeah, so when we actually take a look at the injury that we see in irrigated rice, and at least in my plot work, we're not holding water. I, when I, the end of the field holding water, I'm going to simulate that in a flooded culture, and we can talk more about that here in a moment. But the only time I really see injury with break is down in the furrow and um, you're you're right when you turn on the irrigation generally when you have cooler conditions when you have standing water in that furrow you're going to cause some white rice and I think I agree with you I think a 2x rate if you overlap and I know this, the label does have a precautionary statement on there if you have overlap uh, you're probably going to have unacceptable injury associated with that so I think that's where we need to be careful of but coming back also I guess along this you know coming back to cotton and thinking of working with it you know clay soils we didn't see a lot of activity on break I'm not going to say that we didn't see any activity there was activity there but it was not nearly the activity that we saw on a silt loam soil I know I spoke to Dr Tom Barber about that he did some work I think down in South Arkansas I did some work up in in uh, northeast Arkansas do you have any demos out there on clay soils and what are you seeing I guess from an injury standpoint as well as from an efficacy standpoint we do um,
0: there's actually quite a bit that went out on clay and, and some of your heavy so- heavier soils I will say that just in general uh, the more clay content typically the less efficacy now I will say that some of that can be overcome if it's if it's really wet um, because that break that fluoridone exists in the soil solution and it, you know it's not adsorbing to the to the colloids and and being bound up from being taken up by the germinating weeds and again going back to the label it you know it says hey you definitely want to be at the high rate if you're going at,
1: on a high clay soil or a highly organic soil so okay so now kind of moving from fur irrigated where I think it has the greatest fit to moving over here into flooded rice uh, I've had a lot of I'd say success in a Fur irrigated system and it's been a hit and miss is where how I'm going to term it in the in the flooded system and it's not as much from the weed control standpoint as it is from a tolerance uh, issue that that we've seen. I noticed on the label you stayed in there to consult your seed supplier in terms of varietal tolerance and of course we've seen some differences in varietal tolerance is there a list are you guys do you have a list today are you putting a list together um how do you go about accessing this um this determination as to whether you have a sensitive variety because some varieties are sensitive than others
0: yes sir there's definitely variety varietal differences and yes we are putting a list together uh we had a what i'll call a an abbreviated list, or a list that we were building this year, um, that uh, you know certain varieties are are probably going to show more response, more bleaching than others. Uh, for example, your your Dynagro 263L, uh, that one's probably at the top of the list. Of I wouldn't use break, uh, certainly if you're holding water on the end, you know, on the end of the field, you know, from from that standpoint, if you're if you're planning that variety, in a furrow irrigated standpoint from a from a flood irrigated again, um, we, we can get into dis- discussing what we've seen there um, and certainly certainly more injury on the from the flood irrigated side than the furrow irrigated side. Uh, another one that I think stuck out that I, I didn't I don't recall seeing last year in your trials. Um, was that CLL-15.
1: Uh, it seemed like we've, we've seen more injury there this year. Um, yeah, and again, I, I agree a, with you. I was I was shocked from the standpoint you looked at it. We had CL-15 and we had C 16 sitting side by side, and th- the data would indicate that 15 was definitely more sensitive than 16, and I would think that those would be, I mean, again, I'm not a breeder, so I don't know what their background would be, but... Uh, there's definitely differences there in terms of sensitivity, yes sir um that so the, the other
0: variety that we had listed this year um would be diamond on there that was shown a little bit more sensitive and i and I'll say those conventional varieties in general I think are can be a little bit more sensitive than than some of your
1: hybrids uh, yeah, I would agree with you on on that um. And so with that, you know, you know, we've looked at it pre-emergence, we've looked at it three-leaf application, doing these varietal tolerances, and you know, I was telling you the other day, we've got plots this year where last year I would have swore that we had greater injury pre-emergence than we did with post-emergence applications. I think it, we have some sites this year we probably have slightly more post-emergence than we do with pre-emergence. So I had not quite figured that out, but one thing is for certain. You have very little injury to rice until you put the water on it. And then when you put the water on it, that is really when you're going to start seeing the activity would break. And I guess what I would tell folks, Kyle, is if you get in a situation where that rice is beginning to turn white, if you, the the label, my understanding, the label does allow for flooded applications. If you were to place it on rice and it were to begin to turn white, you're gonna have to get the water off of it, would you agree with that? I would agree
0: I mean that that is the recommendation um you know when when people ask that question, it's hey, keep as much water off it as possible you know obviously you can't control the rain, but you can control the irrigation
1: and I think you know it's you're going to have to let the field dry back up. And then obviously, we're growing a rice crop, so we're going to have to bring some water back to it. But I think you're going to want that field to dry up before you bring it back. Now, I'll be the first to tell you we don't have data where we've drained the field, let it dry down, and then bring water back to it. But just herbicides in general, when we see damage to rice, herbicide injury to rice, in most instances you want to get the water off of it it's all about stress on stress a lot of folks think that a flood doesn't necessarily stress rice but it does stress rice and so you can compound that having herbicide in that water there together so uh, that's definitely a recommendation that we would that we would make you know when i think about break i come back to sonar which I think is one of the world's most widely used aquatic herbicides. And I've had very good luck in the trials where I've used it, at least from a tolerance standpoint, and I'll say even from a weed control standpoint, looking at aquatic weeds. I've had very good crop tolerance with post-flood applications of the herbicide. When I read the label, it basically allows for applications up to 30 days prior to harvest. So, if I read it correctly, it would allow for post-flood treatment. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, The PHI is 30 days.
0: Uh, Ongoing research suggests that post-flood applications in flood-irrigated rice um, not only control the aquatic weeds, but are safer to the rice than what we've seen in some of that pre those pre-flood applications
1: I would agree with you totally on on that if I'm going to grow flooded rice so today if I were growing flooded rice and I was going to use break first of all pigweed's not going to be a problem for me because I'm going to flood and take that pigweed out I'm really after aquatic weeds if I'm using break and uh, you know there's some things I think that we're trying to figure out what we can mix with it. It's I'm not going to sit here today and say that Break is a broad spectrum post flood herbicide. Uh, the verdict is still out on what we need to mix with it, but I think there are some some tank mixes out there that we can do some good mixing Break with some other products um, in, in rice to have really a. I hate to say it, but you know when you start getting in that it's really a kind of more of a salvage. You're looking at controlling aquatic weeds. You're in a salvage situation. If I'm out spraying things post flood, I, I I miss I didn't get things exactly right pre-flood in order to get in that post-flood application. Yeah, I agree. Um and as I mentioned,
0: the, the research is ongoing to see exactly what breaks gonna bring to the table in a post-flood scenario. Again, currently there's an aerial restriction on the label. Um, so we're not there yet. Um, but but we are assessing. If we could be there and and you know what value break might bring in that post blood application.
1: So basically there, uh, you know, we're working with with CPRO, we're doing everything we can to ensure that we have no issues. You put things in an airplane, you just want to make sure that you you have good tolerance to everything around you. And I guess that's kind of where we are at this point. Hopefully within the next uh 12 to 18 months, uh, we can collect the data necessary to have confidence that we can move forward with that post-flood application. Yes, sir. That is uh, priority number one. Uh, we discussed it
0: three weeks ago when we were together and how we might do that and the crops that we would look at around the applications. And and I, I think that's the direction
1: we want to head. So going now to 2024, based on where we are today, based on the restrictions, the aerial restriction based on what we know about flood irrigated or or, or flooded rice not flood irrigated just flooded rice your focus breaks focus uh, the focus for break in 2024 again is going to be fur irrigated rice and there's going to be some precautions around that but basically we're looking at mixing with Loyant we're looking mixing possibly with propanil Uh, we're coming in at the three leaf stage trying to provide some more residual really I'm going to call it residual I'm not going to call it pre-emergence but calling provide some residual to take us further into that crop because when we take a look at fur irrigated rice I know in my work it's not uncommon that we've got four applications to try to get us to uh, canopy if you're lucky you might get by with three but a lot of times you've got a fourth application that you may not have in flooded rice yes
0: sir that is uh... You know the recommendation again, based on the label, your sandier soils, sandy loam, 12 ounces a break. Um, anything heavier, 16 ounces a break. Uh, three leaf stage and and older rice, and then again, mix it with something that is going to give you that that burn down if you've got some weeds up, and break is going to provide the re- residual, certainly for Palmer um, annual grass, other annual grass species, as we discussed earlier.
1: Okay, is there anything else that I've missed today about break that you want to share with our audience? I think that th- that was a pretty well-rounded
0: uh, conversation on break and rice, at least to date, uh, on what we know. Obviously, there's a lot of data that- to be de- collected this year, um, both in furrow irrigated as well as flooded. Um, and so, hopefully, we can do this again after the uh, the data comes in and we can... We can talk about our plan moving
1: into 2024 absolutely and i would like to you know uh, i think break will be part of our program this winter in terms of how it positions in rice once we get all the data in Uh, but we've had some positive results like i said thus far especially on on pigweed or palmer palmer pigweed uh, control so i really appreciate you joining us today uh, for this podcast and i'd like to thank Uh, all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Weeds are Wild podcast series on the Arkansas Row Crops Radio.
0: Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or
1: visit uaex.uada.edu.